I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast, where we explore the world of Belgian beer. Frank Bone is an iconic figure, not just in the world of Lambic and Hüse, but in the world of beer. Currently the chairperson of a group consisting of the Lambic breweries, Hodal, and the organiser of the Belgian Brewers Federation's annual beer festival, the Belgian Beer Weekend, Frank wears many hats as well as managing production at his own brewery in the village of Lambic, Brauerei Bone. Our chat was recorded in his food room the largest stock of Lambic on oak in the world, so the ambient noise you'll hear is that of an operating brewery. Bone talks about how the lack of quality of Lambic and Husa almost killed the style in the 1980s and takes us through his early years learning to blend with René de Witz through to the ways in which he has grown production on numerous occasions since. We discuss his relationship with Palm Breweries and Jan Toye and how his two sons, Jos and Garel, are now working in the family business, one in production, the other in sales and marketing. We hear him talk about the hybrid nature of Lambic and refer on several occasions to the approach winemakers take to production and sales. And we learn about the resistance he faced in the late 1990s in his battle to protect the tradition of Lambic and his successful establishment of legal terms in Belgium to define Eau de Huse as apart from Huse. Sit back, listen and enjoy Frank Bone of Braure Bone. Well aged, what is this? It should be more than a year, exactly. August 27, a year ago. A year ago, one year. Yeah. This is what is amazing, uh, amazing about Go is that it is, it improves by aging. All other beers, shh. Yeah. Maybe some exceptions, but I don't know much exceptions. Yeah. Unless the Madeira beers. I mean, uh, beers that uh, um, have a lot of alcohol and uh, where maybe some Madeira tastes are expected. And yeah. These are really the exceptions. In general, beer... Has to be as fresh as possible. After six months... You just talked about your trip to Japan recently. Um, you organised this year the the uh, Belgian Brewers Federation Belgian Beer Weekend. Um, are you also the chairperson of Horal? Yes. Yeah. So that's another job on, t- on top of running, you know, the production yeah. of of Bone. So, you know, you're, you're you know to, to occupy all these to wear all these hats. Um, I mean, where did it start? I mean, did you always have an ambition to get into the world of brewing? It started very early, uh, a very long time ago. But I must say my, my mother was a, a journalist, freelance journalist, um, and she wrote books about, um, uh, about cookery, about, uh, about kitchen, about um, uh, especially special food in, in Belgium. So I made a lo- she made a lot of translations. And I remember her remarks about 
uh, all the Belgian beer styles disappearing in the, in the 1960s. She could describe very well all these uh, tastes. On the other side, I had an uncle, a granduncle. He had a brewery. So it was fun to go there and talk with him about uh, beer and, and asking him questions about uh, all these styles and why they disappeared. And he learned me and he said, oh, but there are still some beers available. You should go there and you should go there. And so... That was, what sort of stuff was he brewing then at that time? Oh, uh, his brewery was... Um, uh, a local a local brewery of a certain size, but it, they made lager beer, some top fermented in the in the palm style, and some uh, table beer, which was uh, very common uh, in those days. So so most breweries were um, beer merchants making their own beer. Yeah, that's how you could call them. Maybe some lemonade and some yeah. some you see. brewers and businessmen. Yeah, well, they, they owned a, n a number of cafes, and that. that was the style of the 1960s. And there were, in the 1960s, there were about 300 breweries in Belgium working like that, small and grow. Were you, were you, did you grow up in, in Brussels? Uh, uh, close in, in the north of Brussels, very close to the, to the not in the center of the city, but... Um, so when did you then move out to kind of Hallo-Lambic area? Uh, well, just my, my father was employed here, and so we had to move with the, the family in 1970, uh, 1972. And uh, I, uh, of course, it was new for me, this area, but uh, of course, be because my granduncle told me about all these, the breweries, he also learned me about Mr. De Witz, the local small Lambic brewer, and, um, and he was known to make the, the best goods. So this was René de Witt. René de Witt, yeah. So René yeah. de Witt was kind of, um, would you call him your mentor perhaps in terms of introducing you to how this, this particular beer He was a, a very special guy because he lived, he was uh, unmarried and he lived with his sister, both unmarried. They had um, a shop, a grocery shop, uh, a cafe and a small brewery. And so he lived really uh, like uh, more than 100 years ago. The style was uh, no electricity at the, the first floor, uh, old style. Yeah. And so, um, but he made a fantastic bottle of goose. So um, I was surprised when he told me that um, he had no, uh, no one was interested in that brewery and that he was going to close maybe by 1975 or 76. That was his idea to, to just to stop the brewery. So I asked him, do you really have no one that want to, to buy your brewery? And said, no, he said, even um, if I get some money for the buildings, uh, they can have everything, uh, but nobody, nobody is interested in those days. So even at that early stage, was the seed planted in your mind that, well, actually, I could, I could take this on? Yeah. No, this was a, a new idea because there were no craft brewers. Uh, there was one, but I didn't know him in the beginning. It was uh, Pierre Salis in Hougarde. He started in 1965, but he was absolutely unknown to me. Mm -hmm. So I finally I started in, uh, in 1975. And um, was that under the name of René de Witz or under the name of Frank on mine Under my name, because uh, I had no money. So I, I had to find money and to make money to, to buy his buildings. And uh, so I started in 1975. 
just in the basement in the cellar in Halle. So you were you were blending from scratch as a blender, yes. Yeah. Very small from scratch. And I mean, before we kind of get into that early part, um, I mean, w- was it always that ambition? Because I understand you studied social sciences at university. Yeah, but it is, there was no. My, I was always interested in in uh, in beer and um, and this was my um, this was my thing. Yes. Yeah. So then you're um, so you're, you're saying right? Okay, we're going to do some blending here of my own under my own name. Yeah. So where were you kind of purchasing your your wort? Um, well, there were at that moment there were uh, 13 lambic blenders left. Uh-huh. So and uh, we had, could have worked from quite some breweries, but uh, I limited this to um, two breweries, Lindemans and Girardin. But uh, at that moment, Eilenbos, um, Hevaert, De Neve, Brabrux, and some others uh, were still. Uh, in operation, yes. I started uh, at the Witz, but it, it grew uh, very fast and it was uh, too small. And so I had to find uh, uh, some more space because Lambic Brewery, it looks large here, but in fact, Lambic Brewery is, Lambic Breweries are small companies, but they need a lot of place because uh, the art of making a good bottle of goods is to have a lot of stock, a lot of stock of lambic of one and two and three years so old. So that you can blend in a more sophisticated way. Yes, but you need this age. Mm-hmm. With young beer, you cannot make a good bottle mm-hmm. of gears. Mm-hmm. So um, um, there were two problems at the old uh, the Witz brewery. It was uh, situated in um, in a zone, not in an industrial zone. So many uh, many houses surrounded it. And at the long term, uh, I would have had problems there to develop the brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, and also there was a problem of space. So at a certain moment, I could dis- buy this uh, this factory. It was um, it was a, a large uh, factory that uh, went uh, bankrupt in 1981. So I could buy the buildings for not too much money. Okay. And the idea was to. Um, to move all um, distribution, logistics to this place and to have more place at, at the old uh, brewery. I mean, you, you have to think long term if you're going to be a Lambic brewer or a blender. Oh, yes. So at that time you were already thinking, look, we need, we need the space. Yes, yes. And very quickly I saw that it was uh, not possible to, to keep everything at the old uh, brewery. Uh, also for questions of space, but also of questions for practical questions. No drains, no electricity. Yeah, but electricity had developed very um, uh, low uh, um, capacity. Uh, no, uh, not enough uh, water. No well anymore, and so on. So. Uh, so when you when you bought this place, you were effectively committing to you know a long term career in in producing lambic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I when I bought this. It was uh, much too large. It was uh, ten times the size of the of the old brewery. So very quickly, what I did was uh, I made uh, I made uh, some parts of the buildings were rented to other people. So I, but on short term. So when I needed more space, I could ask them uh, yeah. to, to find another solution. And yeah. That's how finally. Uh, all, uh, all the surface was used for the brewery, except for the smith, he's still here. 
Okay. Yeah, he's working for us, so okay, he's great. still there, yeah. Um, and I mean, so, so you have very little space left in this place now? Well, space is again a problem, so we want to expand here, and uh, I have the possibility to buy some more land here uh, from the government, but it takes time. Of course, because I mean, I know it's skipping ahead even further again, but there was a, an ex expansion of the brewery in 2012? Oh, um, well, um, in, uh, it was uh, clear for us that um, in the beginning of 2000, the old brew house uh, um, could not uh, be uh, have a, a future for at, at long term. Mm -hmm. um, not only for the reasons of capacity, but also because it was a, the old brew house here is second hand equipment, mm -hmm. and it was installed in 1986. It was uh, in operation here at this spot in since 1989. Mm -hmm. It made many thousands of brews, but uh, it was. Uh, uh, cast iron mashton from 1896, mm -hmm. so um, which we changed the um, uh, the steerers, the uh, the rakes uh, two times, so they were used by mm -hmm. by brewing all the time. And the last year in 2013, we brewed every day, Saturdays, Sundays, um, holidays, and that was impossible to go on like that. So so I prepared the the construction of a new brew house already in the beginning of uh, 2004 mm -hmm. but just by buying some equipment and by preparing plans and by buying some more land um, I needed some small some, some small parts and then finally we could start uh, building the new brew house in 2011 by the end of 2011 okay. and it was ready we made the first brutes in um, uh, March or April 2013. And how much did that allow you to kind of, uh, well, in terms the, of your capacity? <laughs> the last, the last uh, in 2012, by the end of 2012, we were selling more than what we could brew. Mm -hmm. And so the stocks were decreasing while we could not brew enough mm -hmm. to get all the casks filled. So I was very happy um, in March 2013 to have the new brew house. And uh, unfortunately, unfortunately for the sales, uh, the weather in May and June was very cold, but it allowed us to brew Lambic mm -hmm. until June 15 yeah. and to, to make some more stock. And so then we started to build up our stocks. And today the stocks are more than, uh, than double than what it was in 2013. So we closed our brewing season in May 2016 now with 21,000 hectoliters of Lambic in stock on oak. Okay. And I mean, this must be the biggest sort of Lambic stock on oak in the world, I presume? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you're, you're, you're moved, you've moved in here. What year was that that you moved into this building? 1986. 1986. Exactly 30 years ago. Okay. It's a, it's a landmark year. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, well. So, I mean, when, at what point then did you, were you able to kind of have conversations with Jean Toy and uh, Palm about sort of uh, oh, beginning um, a partnership? Well, um, very early in, uh, in the beginning of the 1980s, it was clear that it was impossible for me uh, to find enough money to develop the brewery as I started from scratch. I think it's the problem of uh, a lot of craft brewers now, 
we were craft brewers, maybe the, the first craft brewers in Belgium, together with Pierre Salis, which I knew very well afterwards, of course. But um, there is so much investment and it, it, it grew too fast. So uh, there was it, uh, the money issue came very fast. So I looked for a partner uh, in the beginning of 1980s. Finally, I found um, a wine merchant that uh, uh, he was ready to, um, to join the brewery for 50% in 1985. Mm-hmm. So uh, oh, we worked together for uh, uh, some years, but finally uh, he had more romantic view on on brewing. So um, his idea was that we should better put some uh, red copper pipes on the walls instead of stainless steel. That it was more traditional and so on. Uh, that may be true, but this is this is a brewery. It's not a museum. So he so. was interested in the aesthetic of what you were doing, Absolutely, rather than yeah. what was going to be poured from the bottle. Yeah, and we must, it, it is a normal approach for uh, for consumers the aesthetic side, because a lot of people they look and they say, "Wow, this must be good beer," because they have a lot of nice wooden casks, yeah. even without tasting uh, the beer. So so the visual. Uh, aspect is important, but uh, you cannot be as a brewer be too romantic. You must make just fine quality and just uh, uh, do everything and install sure. all the equipment you need to make fantastic quality. So there were some uh, disagreements uh, about it, and so he was not uh, likely to invest anymore by 1989. Uh, and also from between 85 and 89, our sales decreased. So at a certain point, I said, yes, this is, we have no future if we go on like this. So I mean, moved in 1986 to this, to this place. We just uh, moved casks, installed more casks, started to, to have the, the, the start of some more equipment, some better uh, bottling equipment. But um, I had to, to find another solution. So, and that is, that is when I found, um, I knew him for a long time, Jan Toye from mm-hmm. Palm Breweries. Um, and he saw it as a kind of um, a, uh, a cultural project, like uh, saving goods. Yeah. As you know, or maybe in 1990, it was really the worst year for all goods makers. Mm-hmm. Total production of all lambic breweries and blenders together, traditional goods, was about 1,900 hectoliters. Mm-hmm. That is what we brew in one week here now. Yeah. Total production, all blenders and brewers together. So that it was really um, a point at which um, everybody thought about closing or, or yeah, changing. Yeah, and, and you mentioned yourself that your own sales between 86 and 85 and 89 were decreasing along with the trend of you know other producers of the style. Yes. I think you... Uh, um, um, the figures that I saw before that you mentioned were in 1890. So whenever the the, the, the sort of the style was ubiquitous and popular, there were uh, about 80 lambic breweries um, and about 230 who's a stake a blenders. 1890, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100 years before that day. Yes. Yeah. And so you had like what? They three, made 300, million, 300 brands or something. Yeah, they what? made one, one million about one million hectoliters of beer yeah. spontaneous fermentation, of which. Eight percent goes. Yeah, that was that was the the figures at that moment? Yes. And, and then you you go to the, to the beginning of the 1990s, 
and then you had about, what, seven to eight breweries. What was the reason for that decline in the interest of Lombok or the, you know, the, the sort of the, the, the decrease in the numbers producing it? The main reason uh, has always been a question of quality because uh, some producers just thought about, um, say, um, we do it the traditional way. It means that um, workmen uh, at the brewery are the master and they, they've seen how their predecessor did it. And so, uh, and the owner, uh, he, he comes at the brewery at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, reads his newspaper and has a glass of beer with some customers and you see. And so uh, everything works on his own. And, but that is not how you make uh, quality. Um, many of the gozes from the 1980s were absolutely oxidized beers, had very regular uh, re-fermentations, had uh, quite other flaws, and uh, the brewers had very good solutions because they, they tried to sell the beer and they said to their customers, it's the proof it's natural, you see? All the flaws, that's because it's natural. Eh? If there's no foam on the beer, uh, it's because there is no foaming agent in it. Eh? If, the, if you have some particles floating in the beer, that's the proof it's not filtered. Eh? It's, if the, it tastes each time differently, it's a, a proof of natural, and so on and so, so on. So these were the excuses being Excuses, offered. but you cannot sell uh, uh, beer with flaws. You cannot sell that with, uh, with good stories. Yeah, you can do that once and, and people buy some bottles and they afterwards they say, but I don't like yours, they say. They don't say, I, this brewery makes beer with some flaws. And they, they say, I don't like this style. This is, so that was very bad for the, yeah. the style. So it reflected badly on you know, other producers. Yeah. So if I compare the beer which we produce today with uh, the quality that was produced 30 years ago, that is, that is an important gap. And across all the producers? Yeah, most of it, of them, yes, yes. And, I mean, did, did Jan Toy share that sort of ambition for quality that, that you're speaking about? Um, yes, but in fact, uh, he, his vision was a very, a very good one for me because he said, this is, uh, uh, it's up to you to see you're free to, to see. I, I have no... So he, he placed a lot of trust in you to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is a brewer and he made, he made his, uh, his palm beer. And, and so, but uh, he said, yeah, Lambic, it's that Frank Bone, it's your problem. And you, and you solve it and you make the beer. And uh, if, you, if you can run the brewery and you can make it survive or even grow, it's fine. It was a cultural project, so... Yeah was not an economic project. Yeah. So that was a kind of a relationship that you guys had sort of then over the next... Yeah, I know Jan since uh, I think 1978, mm -hmm. as I know many other brewers. So, yeah, uh, yeah. And then was, was it... Um, were you still involved up to recent, fairly recently whenever Palm were taken over by Bavaria? No. Um, the, uh, the shares of Boone Brewery were not at, uh, in Palm Brewery. Jan Toya has uh, a holding where he has uh, other um, he owns other companies or has participation in other companies, small and large. 
And one of these participations is, is the participation in Brun Brewers. And when he sold Palm Brewery, Boone was not involved. Yeah. And uh, to say more, uh, we had some uh, logistic agreements with Palm uh, in the past years. But uh, because of uh, um, the market uh, changed and our brewery grew, uh, it became uh, much more interesting for us to do all logistic uh, out of uh, from Lambic. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why we started. But there was I didn't know about what was going to happen with with Palm and Bavaria. But so I started uh, in 2015 to switch uh, distribution. Already half of our distribution was done uh, by our office here in Lambic. Okay. And from uh, the 1st of January of this year, everything, uh, all beer leaves from Lambic and we stopped uh, our... Uh, we had a Distribution uh, relationship with Palm. To uh, Palm Breweries, also for export. Yeah. And so for export. So, so it was a surprise uh, for me and for other brewers to hear that Palm was sold to Bavaria, but uh, I think I think they, they had to find a solution because there were no successors at the brewery and at a certain moment you can't go on as a brewer until you are 100 years old. Sure. It's not possible, so we have to find a solution not only for the brewery, but also for all the people that work there, so to give them a new future. Does that also in, in involve uh, Rodenbach, who are part of the Palm Group as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, they'll now become a part of the Bavaria Group? I suppose, yes, you have to ask them because this sure, is... Sure, yeah, of course. This is, <laughs> I can tell you a lot about Boone Brewery, but uh, about uh, the, what happens at Palm Brewery or what, what, what is going to happen there in the future. That is, uh, it's their business and their affair. So. You mentioned as well, you know, about um, legacy and succession. Um, and you have two sons that are involved in the brewery. Sure. So you have, in the last number of years, the expansion of the brew house. Um, you know, you're constantly thinking about your stock. You said, you know, to make... We're going to build an, a new stock at the other side of the Zender River here. Yeah. At the, at the right bank of the, the Zender. 1,000 square meters with uh, stock for about 10,000 hectoliters extra. Okay. We're busy now with the... Um, the revision all of all the casks at yeah, the cooperage in in Bordeaux near Bordeaux, yes. So the it's it's Carl and Jos are the, your two sons. Jos and Carl, yes. So yeah. Jos is more on the production side. Yeah, yeah. And Carl is sales and marketing side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and um, I mean they've obviously been in and around the brewery pretty much their whole they're lives. Born I guess. We live at the brewery, so they yeah. So they were born. It's a in part. It. The, my wife said the brewery is a part of our house, so uh, it's, 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 yeah. And um, what age are the, those guys now? Um, Jules is uh, 28 and, uh, and Carl 22. Okay. So, uh, and Jules works at the brewery uh, since four years now, since he finished his studies. He studied uh, bioengineer in Louvain, mm-hmm. but specialized in brewing and malting. Mm-hmm. With uh, Professor Delvaux was his uh, professor. He was the last student of Professor Delvaux. Really, and um, still a very good friend. And then uh, and Carol finished his studies uh, now just this year before the summer. But uh, before uh, he will join us in March. And now he's working for uh, for six months at uh, Shime Brewery. Yeah, just. Uh, 
So it's a sort of an internship then to kind of see how things operate and... Yeah, well, to learn more uh, at the um, Department Sales and Marketing of Shime Brewery. They're so kind to, uh, to let him work there and to learn more. But you must be, you know, filled full of pride that your sons are, you know, are coming into the business and, and continuing on. I mean, or maybe your facial expression suggests that you're, you feel sorry for all the work that's ahead of them. No, but it, it is, uh, I must say that we are not uh, really busy with these thoughts. It's, uh, we're doing our job and uh, I know for a long time that they're interested to, to work at the brewery and to, um, to succeed me in the... Um, I mean, what, was it something that when they were younger you kind of encouraged that they might think about a career in, in the brewery or was it you were sort of, you guys can do what you want? It was, um, how can I say that? I always, we did a lot of visits of uh, uh, factories, breweries, <laughs> other factories, uh, water mills, whatever. And so uh, uh, when they were very, very young, they were very interesting in, in factories and in machines working in our things. And then, of course, they, they spend a lot of time here at the brewery. It was their playground. And so I think it's a natural thing for them to, to be here at the brewery. It's, it's, a, it's a part of their life too. Yeah. And when you, when you kind of talk about beer with them, do they share kind of a similar attitude to, to brewing and to beer? Do, they, do, do you guys like to talk about beer? Yeah. <laughs> too much, I think. If I may believe uh, my wife. <laughs> no, we, we have our... Uh, our uh, meetings two, three times uh, a week, and then uh, and one production meeting about uh, about beer, about all the beer that leaves the brewery has been tasted by uh, myself and uh, and by Jos, and also by Carol, but he is not here now. And uh, all the beer in the wooden casks uh, has been tasted many times before blending by myself. I still do this job, but uh, it's a bit organized. So they, uh, I used to do the climb on ladders. I do this from time to time, but uh, um, um, today they uh, they prepare 10 or 15 samples for me. So when I do the tastings, uh, everything goes in the, in the little book or in the computer. So how, ma how many um, people work at the brewery? We are uh, 20 in total. Um, um, with some temporaries, uh, 21 or 22 maybe, yes. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about, about Lambic itself and the, the kind of production of the beer. Um, I think you've described it before as a hybrid between a number of other products or drinks. Yes. What concerns the taste, if you, if you talk about the taste, it's a hybrid. Yeah. Because it has, uh, it has some, some qualities of, uh, of wines, of course, the, the wild yeasts that you will find in Lambic are very similar to some yeasts you will find in some wine-producing uh, countries because they are wild yeasts. Um, and so, um, on the other hand, uh, some of these yeasts uh, produce um, phenolic tastes. Phenolic tastes you will find in some uh, alcohol beverages like whiskey. This uh, also phenolic, 
And then there is, of course, the Biri site, because uh, Goethe is um, uh, six and a half, seven percent of alcohol, and some some of our Goethe's are a bit stronger. Um, but it is uh, still uh, half of the of the gravity or half of the alcohol content of a glass of wine. So it's it's some hybrid between uh, beer, whiskey, and and some good uh, white spi- sparkling wine. Yeah, another thing I've heard you say sometimes is um, <clears throat> about kind of the the acidity that it's not uh, it, it's not really about achieving sourness. It's not about a, a race to acidity. Yeah, and that you know the I guess the the sour based taste is one <clears throat> one aspect of of the beer style. Do, do you kind of think that that some people judge it maybe too one dimensionally? Well. Um there are uh, many kinds of uh, beer lovers. Some just taste from time to time a style and then they, they want to judge it, but they're not really drinkers of that style. Other uh, people, sometimes local people, and I mean local, about 50 kilometers around uh, the brewery. And we sell about, I think 70% of our volume, 50 kilometers around uh, the brewery. Now these uh, uh, these customers they drink this beer some ev- some of them every day others they have it every weekend or it's their standard specialty beer at home and uh, these drinkers they know very well that uh, a bottle of Goose needs some acidity it's a part of the taste but um, it cannot be uh, dominated by uh, a vinegar taste you see. Acetic acid or vinegar is a mistake in goes. So you will always have some what is called volatile acidity or some vinegary taste, a little bit. Uh, you will also find this uh, component in most uh, white or red wines. But um, even in red wine, uh, the taste is dominated by, uh, by vinegar. The, the French word vin aigre means vinegar mm-hmm. and vinegar is not beer or is not wine so it's a very big mistake some may think the beer has a very strong taste but this strongness has nothing to do with uh, with quality uh, on the other end there are uh, there is the acidity um, um, coming from lactic acid and uh, and this is a more mild uh, acidity softer yeah. softer and this is the acidity you will find in most uh, white wines. Um, winemakers will try to convert a part of their malic acid into lactic acid. Eh? Malolactic fermentation, they call it. So it's really lactic acid that is the, the most important acid maker. But it's not the only one. It's, uh, it's not, it would be one dimension beer if you only would find uh, lactic acid uh, in, in Lambic. But the acidity is a part of the taste. So, so of course, uh, uh, esters, which are uh, to, how shall I explain that in two words? If you combine alcohol uh, with a fatty acid, um, then uh, you get an ester. So by aging beer, you build up esters. And some of our wild yeasts are very good in making very special esters. 
So um, they present themselves as like more fruit, fruity-like compounds. Yeah, fruity compounds, uh, which gives you that sort of citrus quality sometimes. Right. To, to yeah, some fatty acids. When the when the beer is too young, and that's an interesting question or an interesting uh, remark. Some fatty acids uh, like um, uh, capric acid or caprylic acid, they they uh, when the beer is too young, they have the taste of goat cheese. Which is a bit bitter, which is a bit um, uh, taste uh, like yogurt. It's not the most fantastic uh, taste. But the very surprising thing is that when these fatty acids are combined with an alcohol, and that is what happens when you're beer aged, you get very fantastic uh, grapefruit uh, uh, tastes that that remind. It's not grapefruit, but it reminds. Uh, uh, grapefruit. So it's a descriptor. It's a descriptor. Yes, like in a good uh, in a good white wine. Yeah, but do you fear though that people that are attempting to make um, beers that you know are, are have a sour base flavor, not particularly those making lambic or blending for Husa, but that that are are maybe looking at it too one dimensionally, and that the comparison to Husa will reflect badly on th this kind of tradition or culture? Yeah, well, we don't know. I know that uh, uh, if if just names are copied and there is a lot of uh, bad stuff in the market under a good name, that it, it can do a lot of harm. That is right. And personally, I, I'm convinced that um, uh, the so-called market for sour beers I tasted many of these sour beers, but the, these many of these sour beers, I don't think it will last because it's it, it's not just for sipping and and then just uh, ticking, uh, yeah, ticking uh, on red beer, the next beer, okay, next one, they sip that one. Uh, normally, beer is made for drinking, so so um, I think brewers uh, have to know that uh, you are selling beer when you sold to the same customer your third crate, mm -hmm. not to your third bottle or your second bottle, your third crate. When someone buys a crate of, uh, of your beer or even 12 bottles, and it takes a long time to get to the last bottle, and even this last bottle, nobody wants to drink it, you will not sell a, a second uh, a crate. And maybe some brewers will say yes, but it's not we are not there to sell beer, we just want to be creative. It's fantastic, but even if you are cre creative, I think you have to make the best. And, uh, and personally, I would keep all the, the, the tests that are not fantastic, I would keep that beer at the brewery, it will not put it on the market. Keep it as a test. Yeah, but today there is, there is of course, a market for, for a lot of new beers or people that make new, uh, uh, or homebrewers making new beers and say, yes, everything we try, we share it uh, with others. If they know it, it, it is, uh, it are test beers or just uh, um, not really finished creation, it's okay. But um, they put it on the market uh, with a lot of um, marketing and saying it was it's the best. Well, speaking of uh, trying and sharing, Maybe we could uh, open another bottle. Why not? Yes. <laughs> Which one uh, would you like to, to taste? Maybe we can try either the black label or the 79. 
which would you go for? Um, maybe start with the 79. Black Label is less alcohol, but um, uh, it, the cr contrast is interesting. Okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Empty the bottle here, yeah. It's your glass. Thank you all, meneer. Alstublieft. So, 79 is uh, it's brewed in uh, um, October 2011 and, uh, and bottled in December 14. So it's it's nearly two years in the bottle, and it was three year, three years in cast seventy nine. It's the oldest cast of the brewery, mm -hmm. and um, it's also um, one of the first uh, fooders that came here at the brewery. I started to switch from small casks to fooders in 1986, when I when I purchased the cask from Van Mulder Blendery in Brussels. They had four, well, they had more fooders, but four were left. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's actually a, a real sentimental connection to this fooder as well. Yeah, but it, was being, it has been used for three years old Lambic all the time. Mm -hmm. so, so when you develop uh, a three years old Lambic in the fooder all the time, uh, the wild yeasts adapt themselves, adapt, they adapt themselves to this style. And so the, the Bretonomiches, they will, in a three years old Lambic, develop differently, and there will be mutations which you don't have in, uh, in a fooder of young beer. Yeah. So if, if each time you age the beer for three years in the fooder, uh, you can be sure that next time again, you get again this uh, very special uh, taste. Mm. Cheers. Yeah, santé. Smell this, it's, it's very special. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's completely different to the old accuse. Yeah, and comes absolutely in the beginning. There is, of course, the, the sourness of the young beer, and the sourness disappears nearly completely just by aging, mm -hmm. by producing esters. And the special thing is that the Brettanomyces, they are able to grow on oak. Uh, they are able to convert components of the of the oak. Uh, not only the, the, to say it uh, an easy way, the wood sugars, mm -hmm. uh, but they can also do something with lignin, with the, uh, with the lignin part of the uh, the oak. And they can build uh, molecules that are uh, in the range of uh, vanilla, vanillin acid, vanillic acid, I think it's called in English. Which contributes so that, that perception of oakiness in the flavor of the beer. Yeah. You know, people often speak about Lambic and Husa with a very romantic vision and that, you know, people are just uh, throwing some wort into a cool ship and the rest is done by nature. Um, but, you know, what you've kind of discussed is that there's a lot of control elements in terms of your mash temperature schemes, the ingredients that you're using, um, you know, how you're aging, where you're aging. Um, uh, some some may think yeah, just you make something you put it in a cool ship and so on, but I think this is not <clears throat> completely abnormal that uh, something like that. If you read books about wine, 
very often they read like uh, just touristic guides. You can know everything about castles and when they were built and who was the king that, king that survived there uh, during persecution and uh, who was even the Pope that drank from that wine. If you, if you would, uh, if all stories about, about the Pope drinking French wine were true, I think they were just uh, never sober. These, uh, <laughs> the Pope did a lot of drinking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, I think they were uh, just drunk every day. Um, but uh, but the, it, these, this is the, mar the, the marketing element that, that wine has been actually quite good at. Yes, so, so uh, some people really like this, uh, these stories. And they, if you would explain that in detail, say this is too complicated, or they say there must be something suspect because he, this is, it sounds very uh, technical, so maybe there are, there is, it's not traditional anymore. So people don't connect with the authenticity unless they can understand it? No, we know these stories about uh, a, a water mill somewhere, and I respect all guys that work like that, a water mill, and then they have some copper kettles and they have a beer that is brewed somewhere else. And people go there, they walk, they have their drink a glass, and they say, yeah, we went to the, to the water mill and he still makes his They're selling his own an experience. Beer. He makes his own beer. We made a picture of the brewer with his copper kettles. And so I think this, this kind of romance is, uh, if it's there, you, if people like it, you, who am I to forbid it? Mm -hmm. But it's not my, my job to... Um, uh, to create things like that. I'm not busy with that. I'm just, I'm doing my, my job as a brewer. I want to make fine beers. And, uh, but I think a lot of people, you know, the romance is certainly out there, but I think a lot of people are also interested in the reality of creating something so beautiful. So, I mean... I'm glad they are. <laughs> absolutely. And I mean, do, do each of these fooders have um, their own personality in terms of... Oh, yes. And how familiar are you with... Oh, yes. So, for example, if I say to you, there's I know these food, days. Fooder number 39. How would, you, how would you describe fooder number 39 to me? No, this is difficult for me because uh, uh, <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I know this in Dutch. <laughs> that is one reason. And I have 120 fooders here. And I have uh, on the, the other cellar uh, 18 large fooders more. So, so I have the standards and I, I know their characteristics. But um, um, I, know, I know their type and it depends on uh, uh, whether the beer is young or old or, or three years. So the, the, the type, the style will be different. If I, I can describe what is uh, in there now, this brewing season's uh, Z brewed uh, 85, 88 and, and completed 84, 85, about how it uh, tastes. But it will be different within a year, of course. Sure, sure. Mm -hmm. People talk about uh, Britannomyces lambicus, Britannomyces bruxellensis, yeah. um, as kind of in the same language that people speak of terroir in other products. Yeah. You can have Britannomyces in the wild in other parts of the world. Is, is a spontaneously fermented beer produced in another part of the world um, a lambic or not? Hmm. Um, yeah, the question is, we gave this name to, uh, to this beer because it's a, a local name. Uh, so if you make a Californian red wine, 
Is it Bordeaux or Burgundy wine, or is it just a Californian wine? Uh, if you are if you're living in New York, are you then should you be called uh, a Londoner or because you speak English or or just a New Yorker? That is the question. So, um, but I uh, but um, I never tasted a typical goose from another uh, area in the world until now until now so I still have to taste the first sample of course uh, spontaneously fermented beers yes uh, there's no reason why you could not uh, ferment uh, a beer spontaneously but uh, if even the yeast the wild yeast in, in Burgundy and in Bordeaux are so different and give different tastes um, it, it, we would not be surprised that wild yeast everywhere in the, in the world give different results. If even in this area, next village, to be they tried to, sorry, to make goes for a long time and they never succeeded to get this taste. Mm -hmm. There are many, uh, many varieties of uh, Britannomyces, but most of them do not give very fantastic tastes. And some of these mistakes are by some some uh, scientists, uh, uh, some scientists take this these mistakes as a kind of example for girls. Huh? If it tastes a wet dog or it tastes uh, a barnyard, then it's real girls. But if if you taste wet dog, it's a mistake. Mm -hmm. Okay, there can be some weird, uh, some weird. Uh, tastes or smells, uh, I mean, but if it's dominated by that smell, it's a mistake. Can we try our last beer then? Okay, we can. Um, which one are you going to pick this time? Yeah, if it's good, um, because it's uh, not a good idea to switch again to goods after Creek, we maybe uh, should try the... Um, the how the girls a black label. Sure. It's a second edition. Um, we just launched it uh, a few weeks ago. And so uh, it will still uh, it will still support some aging. <laughs> but, uh, so this is the black label is a, a the idea of a, of a goose black label is to make a goose with a, a very high fermentation degree. So fermentation degree is uh, very close to 100%. But um, beside that, to have a beer that is uh, that has still uh, a lot of body. Okay. So this is the most difficult thing in a beer to make a lot of body and to have a high fermentation degree. But it makes makes a beer very drinkable. And so it was. Uh, we did this with beer from our new brew house. So uh, there's no, there's yeah, there's one bucket, uh, three years old in it. Okay. From the old brew house, symbolic. Yeah. But but for the rest, it was a blend of uh, 500 hectoliters. Uh, no, the second one was uh, is 700 hectoliters. Uh, but just beer from the our uh, new brew house. Thank you, Al. So you will taste. It's very interesting because 
this beer and uh, the one we tasted before, they both just goes. But uh, but this one, the other one was uh, three years in the cask and two years in the bottle. Mm -hmm. This one is uh, two years um, average, one and two years blend, but all beer with the fermentation degree of uh, close to 100%. So it's super dry, but still has some some roundness, some uh, some uh, quite some uh, body. Cheers! So it it's super. Uh, Drinkable, so this is a perfect uh, summer goose. These these two beers are very interesting to taste close uh, to each other because they're really extremes. Mm. If, if you like extreme beer, uh, that one is extremely aged mm -hmm. and and works on a massive taste and a massive taste of. Uh, with some oak in it. Uh, For sure. And this one is, is really going to fermentation degree 100%. Um, You've got real dryness and that yeah. carbonic scrub, yeah. you know, accentuates the perceived dryness as well. Um, the, I mean, the, 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 the word huse, um, you know, it's, it's a blend of lambics. Um, there is a big difference, of course, between Huse and eau de Huse. Yeah, sure. So maybe maybe you could explain that because I think that you were one of the people that was involved in you know creating a kind of a definition for that distinction. Yes, indeed. Um, I made the proposal uh, uh, for two names. Uh, initially, younger girls and older girls, young girls and old girls. Um, because um, what is called filtered goose, in fact, is uh, is beer that is brewed uh, like lambic in the brew house, and then afterwards uh, fermented like top fermented beer. Mm -hmm. um, but if uh, these uh, this top fermented beer has by accident some wild bugs in it. Um, the old Belgian law could not make the, dis the difference between that and traditional spontaneous beer. So one big brewer uh, told me, asked me 30 years ago, he said, if I, if I brew Lambic huh, and I put it on a cold ship and uh, it ferments for a week and then I filter it and pasteurize it, is it still Lambic? Yeah, if it's on the cool ship, yes, it's lambic. If it's fermenting, yes, it's lambic. If uh, uh, before filtration, still lambic, very, very, extremely young lambic, but it's lambic. Yeah? If we make lambic, you cannot say that from the brew, between one year old and the brew house, in between, it has another name, or it's another beer. No, it's lambic, but it's extremely young. So the question is not uh, do these... Uh, so-called filtered goes, are they made with lambic or not? Probably yes, but the lambic is far too young. And that's something that the Extremely cons young. consumer should be aware about. Yeah, and so... so uh, Were you frustrated, though, when, when there was literally no protection or no distinction? And well, well uh, 30 years ago, um, buyers from retail would say, okay, your goes is not bad, but it's too expensive because we, we had uh, an offer from another brewery 
and this goes is much cheaper, you will check the cheap one. And that's why I thought that two names, it was important to have two names to make the difference, to call the other ones just young goes, because they were extremely young, a few days old sometimes. And the other one, old goes, because the beer was old. And there was an example, because in Holland there is a law for uh, Geneva. And they have two styles in Geneva, uh, the traditional style uh, made with rye and the not so traditional one just made with sugar. And uh, they make the difference by calling the one made with sugar as younger Geneva, young Geneva, and the one, the traditional one, older Geneva. Mm -hmm. So even the age does not play there. In our case, there is even a difference in age. So it was, I think, a good idea to, to use the name Audigers and, and Jongergers. And I had a lot of uh, writings, old books, that spoke about a good bottle of Audigers, of old girls, because you had to age your bottles. Sure. So that was my proposal. But initially it was refused because not everybody agreed with it and they, they liked one name and they liked to, to be in the market with filtered girls and eventually uh, find a solution to have both, both beers in the market with the same name. Mm -hmm. But that was, uh, finally the proposal was refused by Belgian government. Mm -hmm. And so um, I was very surprised because probably there was a very good girls lover there Afterwards, I knew why, but uh, okay. <laughs> I won't go into details. Okay. Uh, and then uh, very quickly, uh, a new proposal had to be made. And then finally, they took my proposal and then... Huser and older Huser. Right. So now there is a European protection for two types of girls. For, not for younger girls, but they dropped the word younger. Eh? Just for girls and for Audigers. That allowed us, uh, and it's now um, in uh, February next year, it will be 20 years of protection that it was uh, published in the, in the, um, um, the official uh, paper of the uh, European Union. And uh, so since then it is protected, Audigers is protected. And it helped us a lot um, to to grow. I mean, because just were... not we, because we like to grow, because otherwise girls would have disappeared from the market. Yeah, I'm sure. Because I mean, you were up against uh, a Huse can can ha can be a, a beer with a high residual sweetness, with sugar sugars added, syrups added. Right. It can actually be a number of different things. You don't exactly know what it is. Whereas an older Huse must meet certain requirements. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, you, t you mentioned that the potential for old accused to, to disappear from the market was, was very real. Um, and that was kind of behind the beginning of uh, Oral. Uh, yes, but the protection of girls, we did that with a number of brewers. And that was something we started at the House of Brewers in Brussels. We had our f first meetings, I think in 1986 about, and finally, it was published in 1997. And that's not because uh, Europe works very slowly, but because it was very difficult to get to decisions at the House of Brewers. Because there were two extremes. One uh, very traditional brewer 
who didn't want to talk about it because he said there can only be one goose and that's a traditional and all the others have to stop to, to produce. Eh? That was point, one point of view. And then there were some brewers. Who, who was that brewery? No, I, don't, I can't go into detail, okay, but you okay. can imagine who I can, it was. I can imagine, yeah. And then, uh, so he was against all proposals. Uh, and then there were uh, the larger brewers who were not interested because they say, yeah, we, if there is something we want our goes, our, our artificial goes, let's also protect it. And we want it in one name. And then, then there were a number of uh, smaller brewers who were open for the idea of uh, two names, but very limited. So it was a, a very difficult thing to, to come to. And finally, we made... A, um, um, we, be, we had a meeting with, uh, um, with four brewers. Four brewers were designated by, uh, by, the Lambert, by, by all Lambic brewers to prepare uh, everything for a protection. And that's why we made the agreement and where finally, finally we came to an agreement that was uh, proposed and that, uh, that uh, was published um, in, uh, in 1997, February 1997, yes. And I mean, did things like Horal and Tour de Geuze and Nacht van de Grote Dorst evolve from those initial discussions where there was a... Oh yes, because sometimes uh, some some guys think that uh, that Horal initiated this protection, but Horal was founded just four weeks after uh, after that uh, the protection um, was published in the in the journal of the uh, European Union. So just just four weeks later, but uh, um, we started Horal with Horal with uh, uh, some brewers and blenders. After um, um, festivals of tasting uh, we had been doing together um, uh, in the summertime, and then finally we said, "Why, why won't we do this on a larger scale and try to 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 have everybody involved, all the lambic brewers involved?" So we contacted everybody, and finally, uh, except for the the, the brewers that uh, uh, were a part of a, a big group, all the others became member except of one brewery uh, from uh, Brussels, but all the others uh, were uh, uh, members. And that is when we started uh, with promotion. Uh, sort of you could, you could be stronger together in terms of making noise. Yes, to, 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 to have a, uh, a common um, point of view and uh, to make promotion uh, together. Because you have quite a, a diversity of personalities within, oh, yes. within the group, but you know, you're, you're working yeah, together. Except it's fine that they are different because when we, we, we all would have made the same beer and the same opinion, then it's a quite bore, boring thing. And then, of course, you, you have all the same beers. There is nothing very interesting about it. The in interesting is that uh, there are uh, maybe, uh, uh, we are 10 or 11 members of uh, Oral making uh, Goes, and they all make a different product that is very uh, distinct uh, one from another. And, and for example, you know, the, the, the Brussels brewery that you mentioned, I mean, has there been a softening of attitudes? Or, I mean, do, do they, can, is there a mutual respect? Oh, yes. Things changed by uh, by the time. Yes. And and how difficult is it for someone like um, Pierre Tilka, who's a, a new blender coming in, yeah. 
um, to a fairly established group. I mean, was there kind of a, um, um, I wouldn't say hostility, but was there kind of a reservedness because of, you know, they want to make sure that he can produce quality and blend properly? Or was there kind of a, uh, also there's not that many, there's no other balloon members in the group. So it is a small club. I mean, how, would, how, how do they respond or think about potential new members? Yes, uh, if, if breweries in this area are uh, find new owners, like Beersel, uh, for example, or new, new, um, new blenderies uh, are created, like um, uh, the Cam, uh, about nearly 20 years ago, and uh, until Cam, maybe uh, 10 years ago, about. Um, it's certainly interesting. Uh, now, the question is, uh, of course, uh, these days, uh, many guys uh, want to start something up, maybe 10 or 20, uh, want to start something very small up and uh, very small. And, uh, and maybe it's, uh, um, there are other problems for the brewers because we, it has to be possible for us. We have to get organized, you know. Some guys are very well organized and others are not. Some say we want some lambic uh, word, and uh, can we have this uh, on Thursday morning at that at that time? Okay, and then uh, they say, oh yeah, but we're not ready. The casks are still dry or whatever. Can we have it the day after? But that's not how it works. Yeah, uh, a brewery runs like a railways. It's uh, everything is on time. Everything is organized. Everything is planned a long time on uh, before. You have to do and what, then the, you have to, what the ward and the beer needs, yeah, not, you not cannot, what you need. Uh, yeah. If you do that at home, you say, oh, it's Saturday, oh, shit, uh, I, I have another thing to do. I will do it uh, next Saturday. Yeah. But in a company, it doesn't work like that. So so that is why why I think new blenders, we decided uh, with some breweries uh, not to uh, to create or to promote the creation of uh, new blenders. Yeah, uh, because it's it's even now it becomes difficult to uh, to get it organized. Frank, do you love what you do? Uh, what's your idea? <laughs> I think from your cheeky laugh that you do. <laughs> no, I like it. Yes. Well, thanks so much for speaking to me, and um, thanks for sharing the beers. And sante. Have you got answers to all your, to all your questions? Oh, I think so. We'll turn the mics off and then we'll ask more. Thanks, Frank. Thanks for listening, folks. If you want to hear more, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you liked it, we'd love it if you left a review on iTunes. If there's someone you know you think would enjoy it, please do recommend it to them. And if you want to keep up with our stories, resources and projects on Belgian beer and Belgian chocolate, sign up for our email updates on belgiansmack.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.